0: John chapter 7 and verse 37 we're going to continue with this that we've been on skilled in the flow I think this is the eighth part or the ninth one uh, but skilled in the flow and verse 37 says in that last day that great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he that believes on me As the scripture has said, out of his belly or out of his spirit, out of his innermost being will flow rivers, notice the plurality, rivers of living water. So we've talked about that this was during the the Feast of Tabernacles and a very joyful time and, and they would bring the water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out as a drink offering at the temple and it's in this setting that Jesus stands up and He says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. And he says, if uh, uh, he that believes on me out of his being, King James says belly, out of his spirit will flow rivers of living water. So we see that there, are, there is a flow of the Holy Spirit for every area of our life. All right. Jesus talked about seven things or seven flows that the Holy Spirit would operate in, or seven things that He would do, and uh, we've went over those. I'll go over them briefly. He said He would teach us all things, bring to remembrance what is taught, reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We'll deal with that today. He said, guide us in all truth. He'll speak what He hears, show us things to come, and glorify Jesus. So seven flows, seven things that the Holy Spirit would do. And when we talk about being skilled in the flow, in the things of the Spirit, I've got to be skilled in them. It doesn't just happen. There has to be uh, time taken to become skilled in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 (laughs) And so in John 16... Jesus speaks here concerning the comforter. And uh, he begins in verse 7. The Holy Spirit, to just say he is indispensable is an understatement. It was so important that we have the Holy Spirit that that's the first thing Jesus did when he returned to the Father, was sent the Holy Spirit. First thing. God. The first thing he did. He told the disciples, he said, I know you don't want me to go. He said, but guys, listen, it's expedient. It's crucial. It is, it is of major importance that I go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the comforter. Amen. Right? And he said, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another one just like me. And so we talked last week about how you have a a teacher the caliber of Jesus on the inside of you. I've had people say, wouldn't it be nice to just sit down and talk with Jesus? Well, sit down and talk with Him. Because the teacher's on the inside of you. And and I understand what people mean, Well, I'd like to see Him physically. But listen, listen, there were people that heard and saw Jesus physically and got nothing. Now we know that, but think about it. If you could sit in Jesus' physical presence and yet go away and not believe Him. Right? That, that means the physical presence of Jesus is not the mandatory thing. It's that you believe what He's saying irregardless. Is that Right? That there were disciples. There were disciples. You read it about the, transfer, the uh, ascension. When Jesus ascended to heaven. It says they went to the mount. And that he ascended. And it says while he was ascending. Some worshiped. And some believed not. What? You're there. You're seeing Jesus go up. And you don't believe? Amen. Do, do you see that? So it's not if I could sit down and just talk with Jesus, well, you can sit down and talk with Him. Because the teacher is in you. And He's the same caliber as Jesus. Amen. So anything that Jesus could tell you, the Holy Spirit can tell you. Because John said He would hear from the Father and hear from Jesus and tell it to you. Is that right? And so in John 16 and verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, the paraclete, the one just like me, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, when he comes. Now notice what he says. He will reprove. The word, the word is convinced. He will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then he goes through this. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now... These verses deal specifically with the way that the Holy Spirit interacts with the world or with non-believers, but they also reveal truths that are vital to the life of born-again believers, and he says here, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would reprove or convince the world of three things, And, and we went through those sin, righteousness, and judgment, but here's what I want you to see. Behind each of these words. Is the preposition because. Because. Alright. Of sin. Because. Of righteousness. Because. Of judgment. Because. The because. Is there because it's referring to something that's already done. The Holy Spirit cannot convict you of anything. That's not within the finished work of Christ. Alright. Alright. Now, he says, notice, because, and he starts right here in verse 9, is where we'll begin. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of sin, because they believe not on me. So, he's telling you at once what the sin is that he's talking about. Failing to believe on Jesus. You know, people say, well, you know, if that guy keeps committing adultery, he's going to go to hell. Well, he's committing adultery because he's got the granddaddy sin, which is not believing on Jesus. He's going to go to hell if he goes because he didn't believe on Jesus. Because you believe on Jesus, you cure the adultery problem. Or at least you should. Right? <laughs> that, that should, that should, that should, Right? It's like the, the lady that was praying around the altar and she kept crying out to God, Oh, God, clear out the cobwebs. Clear out the cobwebs. Oh, God, clear out the cobwebs. Clear out the cobwebs. Man, the pastor heard that like three services in a row. Oh, God, clear out the cobwebs. He knelt down beside her and said, God, kill the spider. <laughs> Just clear out the cobwebs. Kill the spider. Praise right? God. Amen but of sin because they don't believe on me, right? And, and, and he goes on and lets us know this. Unbelief is the source from which all sin originates. Every sin is connected to unbelief. And the first thing the Holy Spirit will convince somebody on about is that you need to confess Jesus as your Lord. The Holy Spirit, I've heard people say, well, the the, the, the Holy Spirit con- convicted me of my sins and I got saved. What He convicted you of is that you needed Jesus. Yeah. And, and then once you received Jesus, now He had opportunity and permission to start working with you about the things you needed to stop. Yeah. But the first thing that had to stop was my trajectory towards hell. Yeah. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit convinced me Hey, wait a minute. You need Jesus in your life. Amen? Now, notice by rejecting Christ, a person severs themselves from all that God is and his redemptive benefits. When they reject Christ, they sever themselves from all that God is and his redemptive benefits. Right? Why? Because I don't believe in him. I don't believe in him. That's why, remember what Paul said? When he went to the city, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Right? Since you believed. You had to believe and receive the Holy Ghost. Well, what do you have to believe? The Bible says you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we know those things, but notice what the Holy Spirit's doing. So, he's not convincing or convicting or reproving someone... Because they are committing adultery when they're not born again. He will come and reprove them or convince them or convict them that they need Jesus. Because that's, that's the starting block. Amen. That's why you cannot preach morality to people that have not been convinced by the Holy Spirit that they need Jesus. Because they're not moral. Moral. I've heard people that say, well, you know, people are basically good. No, they're not. There's nothing good about anybody that's not born again. And people say, I disagree with you. Then you're disagreeing with the word. Because until goodness comes into my life through the person of the Holy Spirit, I I have no way of making myself good. Right? Right? Well, that, you know, that guy was a moral guy. He might be a moral guy, but there's always the opportunity. There's always the the propensity. There's always the potential there to go overboard, to go off the rails. Why? There's nothing keeping him from doing it. You and I, once we're born again, the Holy Spirit convicted you, convinced you, reproved you. Told you that you needed Jesus. You received Jesus into your heart. And now when you start getting off track. The Holy Spirit deals with your heart from the inside out. And corrects what you're doing. And you can repent. And correct it. Amen. Sinners. Sinners do not repent. They have to ask forgiveness. They have to change kingdoms. Nowhere in the scripture are sinners told to repent. Believers are told to repent. To change our mind. Change the the way that we're going. Ask forgiveness. Am I making sense? That's the first thing he would convince them of. John chapter 12. Notice this. This This is so important because people try to enact laws and they try to legislate morality. And here's the problem with that. When you try to legislate morality to spiritually dead people, it means nothing. Because they'll just figure out a way around it. Amen. I remember one time uh, a minister was preaching and Pastor Michelle was in the audience and uh, she had traveled there for uh, uh, a, uh, a conference and was sitting on the second row and and this was a minister of, a, of if, if I mentioned the minister in the church, you'd know who they are. And he was ministering and uh, he was preaching about lying. And he said, uh, You know, everybody lies. <laughs> and he goes, I lie. And then he looks and he said, I lie, don't you, Michelle? You lie, don't you? And she was like, Uh uh-uh, uh, no, I don't lie. Right? Not not knowingly anyway, right? You, you understand what I mean by that? I would never intentionally lie to you. If I get wrong information, I might tell you something wrong because I got the wrong, but not intentionally. Why? Because you have a governor on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit that convicts you, reproves you, tugs on your heart that that's wrong. The unbeliever, the non-believer... That has not been convicted or reproved or convinced that that's wrong. They lie with no problem. They lie to everybody. They lie about everything. Because they do not have the knowledge that they need to have Jesus in their life. Amen. And so I see people, they'll get frustrated. What's wrong with that guy? He's a sinner. He's not a believer. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Because they don't have a governor. They don't have the lordship of Jesus on the inside of them. What makes you and I different is Jesus is our Lord. We've switched kingdoms. Amen. Look here at John 12. John 12 verse 47. If any man hear my words and believe not. Now notice this. I judge him not. Because I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. What is it? The word that I have spoken. The same will judge him in the last day. And that's talking about somebody that hears the gospel and rejects it. Amen. Amen. What's going to judge him in the last day? The word. The word. The dangerous thing about hearing the word and knowing the word is you'll give an account for it. Every person will give an account for what they've heard. One guy told Brother Hagan one time, he said, oh, Brother Hagan, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. And you know, Brother Hagan, he went through a lot of stuff. He said, I didn't know what he meant, in my physical shoes or in my, you know, what do he mean? And he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, teacher of the word, don't you know you're going to give an account for everything you've taught? Brother Hagan looked right back at him and said, don't you know you're going to give an account for everything you've heard me taught? Amen. Every word that comes forth out of a man or woman of God's mouth that's from the word. That's right. We're going to give an account for it. And Jesus said that the person that rejects him. Now notice. That rejects him and receives not his words. That he has one that judges him. In other words Jesus is. Remember in in John chapter 3. He said, he said uh, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, that, but that the world through me might be saved. Yeah. Well, the word condemn means in a judging sense of guiltiness. Jesus wasn't in the earth laying a guilt trip on people. Because if he was, he lied. Yeah. He said right here, I'm not, ju- I'm not judging the world. I didn't come to judge the world. Is that what he said? Yeah. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Right? But he said, here's the thing, I'm laying the truth out to you, and if you don't receive it, there's one that's going to judge you, and it's the words you've heard. Amen. 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 It's the words you've heard. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convince people of the lordship of Jesus, their necessity to be born again, and he'll use the word to do it. Are you someone witnessing, somebody sharing the gospel, Christian television? However, he's got to get it there. In some nations, angels, Jesus is appearing to people and preaching the gospel to them. Whatever he's got to do to get the word to them. Amen. But why? So they can believe. Because if you reject the word, you stand in judgment for it. Amen. On any area, on any area. The Holy Spirit will convince you, just like the Holy Spirit will convince you of your need for Jesus, the Holy Spirit will convince you that Jesus is your healer. The Holy Spirit will convince you that Jesus is your provider. Amen? So the nature of sin is revealed as unbelief in the one that God sent, Jesus. That's the nature of sin, is a rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that was the nature of sin. Amen. The Holy Spirit convinces the unbeliever that Jesus is the Son of God and their Savior. He will will do that. He will convince them. Remember what Paul said? He said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. So when you sow a seed into an unsaved loved one's life, you share the gospel with them, or a coworker. worker you, you're not the one convincing them. The Holy Spirit's convincing them. He will take your words and convince them. I've heard people say, well, you got to take them down the Roman road. you got to get them lost before you can get them found. Go down the Roman road, we're all sinners, we're all, and and you know what, that's all true. But here's the thing, you can go down the Roman road and if they choose not to believe that, then they choose not to believe that. It's not going down the Roman road that causes people to get saved, it's that they hear what the word says and the Holy Spirit reproves them or convicts them or convinces them, you need that. And that's why very often we do ourselves a disservice because we're playing the role of the Holy Spirit. Trying to get them to see things God's way. The Holy Spirit does that. Amen. You sow the seed, the Holy Spirit gives the increase. And He will. The more you keep your hands out of it, the more the Holy Spirit can work. Because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to elbow you out of the way to get to do what He needs to do. I remember one time we had a, uh, matter of fact, they, they've been with us a long time now. Well, they were here just the other Wednesday, Jim and, and Carrie Molson. And uh, uh, boy, Jim, Jim was a, a number one heathen. He just, I'm telling all on him, but he, he was just, I mean, when he started coming to church, he was coming to church to keep peace and home, you know. And he'd leave his wallet in the car because he figured that if he left his wallet in the car, then he wouldn't be lying if he said he didn't have no money. So he was lying, it was just, it was a little ways out. One day I was ministering, one Sunday morning, and his little girl was sitting on his lap, that's how long ago it is, she just graduated high school, and she was just a little girl then. And uh, he was kind of holding her for his security blanket. And uh, I was preaching, and I said, you know, there's a lot of guys, I said, your idea of, of family time is to go home, sit in your lazy boy, crack open a beer and smoke a cigarette. And his daughter looked at him and went. And so everybody then knew. But my point is, man, Carrie was on him. Carrie wanted him to be saved. You know, she had gotten her life right with God and was fired up and, and, and wanted him to be saved. And, and, you know, I know how that can be. But the Lord, the Lord had her, me call her out one day. And, and he said, tell her this, quit bugging him. That if she'll just leave it to me, it won't be long. Amen. And, you know, I told her that and she did what the Lord told her. And two weeks later, he got born again. On a Sunday night, I remember the song that was being played by the praise team. And I remember walking, seeing him walk up the, the middle the, the middle row. You can't miss him, six feet seven. Came walking up the middle row. Got on his knees and gave his heart to Jesus. And, and it was an immediate change. He went from lukewarm, cold, didn't want anything to do with God, to I'm on fire. I want to do everything God wants me to do. But nobody convinced him the Holy Spirit did. When I say this, no human, a person did, just not a human person. Amen. There was no hellfire and brimstone being preached. He was just sitting under the anointing. Uh And the Holy Spirit could deal with him. Allow the Holy Spirit's voice to be the loudest voice in the lives of your family and your friends. Share the Word of God with them. Tell them what the Word says. But let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Amen. Well, what's your job? What did Jesus say? Love them. Don't, 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 don't make excuses for what they do. Amen. Don't overlook it and sugarcoat it. But that's not my job. My job is to tell you, hey, this is what the Word says. You know, you need to receive Jesus in your life. If they don't change immediately, it's not my judge to judge them and condemn them and lay a guilt trip on them. Let the Holy Spirit work. Amen. Oh, glory. Look at uh, John 16 and 10. So the Holy Spirit convinces the unbeliever that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit does that. Hallelujah. Actually, before you go there, go to Luke 10, because I, I want you to see something here. Are you receiving anything this morning? Luke 10 and 16. He that heareth you heareth me. And he that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth, despiseth him that sent me. So to reject the word is to reject Jesus. Is that what he said? If they hear you they hear me. If they despise you they despise me. And if they despise me, they despise God. That's the, the rejection of Jesus. Anyone that rejects Jesus has no hope. Amen. That's, that's why when you read in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews chapter 10, when you read about people and it says they, they knew the Word of God, they tasted the Spirit of God, they had been involved, they, they knew what was right... And then Paul says, if they choose to reject Jesus, you cannot renew them to repentance. Now, there's believers that don't like that. And they try to say, that's sinners. And that's not sinners. It's believers. Hebrews was written to believers. And it says, there were believers that had tasted of the world to come. Tasted the Spirit. Been made partakers. And what they do? They rejected it. They said, there's another way. We're we're rejecting this. And Paul said, you can't renew them to repentance. Amen. See, it's a dangerous thing to just reject something. Remember what Jesus said blasphemy was? Attributing the works of God to the works of the devil. Amen. I've heard people rail from pulpits. That tongue's business is of the devil. They just rejected Jesus. Amen. Now, why? Why why do I say that? The Holy Spirit will convict a person. It's their job to receive Him. Amen. So Jesus said, "If you reject the Word, you reject Jesus. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father." Now, John sixteen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know and and that and 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 people will get into all kinds of doctrines. You know they'll they'll talk about the doctrine of eternal security and, and once saved always saved. Well, here's here's the problem. Listen. Once you're saved, you're saved. Right now, understand that. No one can take your salvation from you because it's a gift. But hear hear what I'm saying when I say this. When a person says, well, I believe that once a person's saved, they're just saved, and and that's how it is. (laughs) You cannot do things that the Scripture blatantly says is a violation of a Christian lifestyle. And continue to say you're right with God. Just can't. It's impossible. That, that's like somebody having an affair on their, on their spouse saying, well, we got a good marriage. Evidently not. Right? No, you don't. I'm one with Christ. And Paul wrote, if you remember in Corinthians, he said, "Paul uh, Christ is not joined to a harlot. Talking about living wrong, sinning, living immor- in, in, in immoral ways. He said, you can't do that. You can't call yourself the body of Christ and be living this way. Right, I can't be doing something consistently that scripture says a person will be judged for and found guilty for and be punished for and say well it's okay because I'm saved. That person needs another dip. Not Copenhagen either. Another dip in the word. Another dip in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now now I'm saying that for a reason. Because, because there's things that are rampant out there. They Well, you know, just live however you want because God understands. And, and you know, He understands that we're all human. Listen, that's, that's not a scripture. Yeah, but Psalm 78 said He remembered they were dust. Right. He remembered the people that He judged because of their sin. He remembered they were dust. He didn't overlook it. God is a just God and there are things He cannot overlook. Because He's just. And so the Holy Spirit will reprove us, convince us, convince the world, convince the sinner this is wrong because God can't overlook it. Amen. Amen. Now you know that, but no one will ever stand before God. If they stand before God, the judgment seat of the Father, they never made Jesus the Lord of their life and no one will stand before the judgment seat of the Father and say, I did my best. Because your best was receiving Jesus. Right? Amen. So, uh, John 16 and verse 10. It says, of righteousness, here's that word again, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So the Holy Spirit convinces the world that righteousness is available through the triumphant work of Jesus Christ. And that that's the only way. Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convince the world that righteousness is now available. Righteousness is, is, is so crucial. We're going to look at this in the Word of God this morning. Righteousness is so crucial. It's one of the first things that you see that the Bible says that Jesus died to make you was right with God. Just in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen. Matter of fact, try that out. Say, I'm just in the eyes of God. Look at Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Folks, that's, I, I'm, I'm telling you a lot of these things because I want you to understand something. Anybody can stand up on TV and talk about God bless you and God bless America. And we want to bring the light back to America. Well dear God. Anybody can say that but then right on the other hand. If you say things like that and you go down a road that's contrary to scripture something's wrong. Either you don't believe what you're saying. Or you've never had the experience. Amen. You know, when I got born again, I, I was born again very young. And I've made some mistakes in my life and did some stupid things. I haven't been perfect. I know that shocks you. But <laughs> number... <laughs> right? At a very young age, there are things people didn't have to tell me that was wrong. I knew it was wrong because I had been convinced that I needed Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the inside of me. Anything that I ever did sinful or in in aspects of sin, I had to override the Holy Spirit to do it. Amen. Amen. So someone that's born again cannot consistently approve of things that are immoral and sinful and say they have a relationship with Jesus. You just can't, because something changes on the inside of me. Hallelujah. You know, all of us, you'll remember, what was it, a couple summers ago, uh, we took a group from the church and went and saw that movie, Unplanned, about, what's her name, Abby Johnson, or I think that's her name, was, was, was one of the, the higher-ups in Planned Parenthood and, and even had an abortion, Right? What changed her view of that? It wasn't just seeing the baby on the monitor. It was, it was an experience with Jesus. When she experienced Jesus, now that became wrong. Right? Am I making sense? Why? Because it's wrong. There's no way to justify it. Taking a, a, an innocent life. There's no way to justify that. Who did that? The Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's why we can beat our chest and pass out tracks and protest listen until the Holy Spirit deals with somebody my sign my protest all these things are not going to make the difference I'm not saying it's wrong or bad what I'm saying is we got to realize that that if the Holy Spirit doesn't change him if the Holy Spirit doesn't convince him I'm I can't do it amen glory to God so Isaiah 64 and verse 6 but we are all as unclean an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, I've heard ministers preach from this. Well, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. As a matter of fact, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, that was just an alive church, I promise. Well, but he says something here. This is what the Holy Spirit convinces the world of. That their righteousness is as filthy rags. It means a soiled garment. That's what the the Holy Spirit convinces the world of. That your goodness and your righteousness will never cut it. Remember the rich young ruler? What what, what good thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What good thing do I have to do? Jesus said the Holy Spirit would reprove or convince the world about righteousness. Right? Notice that. The unbeliever has to be brought to the point that they understand apart from Jesus, they have no righteousness they can depend on. They have no righteousness they can depend on. I remember a lady came to my office one time. She wanted prayer. She had been to one of our healing meetings and saw some miracles, and she wanted prayer. And I said, Sister, what can I pray with you about? And she said, I have uh, blood cancer. I have cancer in my, my bloodstream. There's an issue affecting my blood. And I said, okay. And uh, uh, she kept talking to me a little bit, and it just came up in my spirit. And I was talking to her, and she said, eventually to me, she said, well, uh, uh, God should heal me. And I said, well, sister, why should God heal you? And she said, because I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a good person. I said, sister, God doesn't heal you based on keeping the Ten Commandments or whether you're a good person. God heals you if you believe in the finished work of Jesus. Well, I just, He should heal me because I I treat people right. See, trying to get healed on her righteousness. You can't. The Holy Spirit will convince people of that. Amen. Now notice, Jesus, think about this for a moment, is the standard of righteousness. He's the standard. And so, if in yourself your righteousness doesn't meet His standard, then you're hopeless. And here's the thing, in yourself, nobody's righteousness meets His standards. God God has set the bar so impossibly high that if you don't meet the first requirement, which is allowing the Holy Spirit to convince you that you need Jesus. If He doesn't convince you that you need Jesus, then your righteousness will never come up where it needs to be. Because the bar is set that high for a reason. You have to believe on the one who paid the price. Amen. 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 And I've had people say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. It's, listen, how fair is this? How fair is it that your elder brother came and took the test and aced it? Got 100%, got all the extra questions right, got all the extra credit right, did everything down the line perfect for you and then ascended to heaven and when you got born again he gave you his test score how fair is that amen on earth that's called cheating in heaven it's called grace he gave you his score I just accept what he did right amen so God has set the bar where it's at so that when you believe in Jesus through the finished work you become something that you can never become on your own. You become someone that you can never be on your own. You literally take on the mind of Christ the heart of Christ the spirit of Christ and you become the righteousness of God in Him. And the Holy Spirit will convince you of that. That's one of the first things he'll convince you of is that you're righteous. Amen. You're right with God. You're in right standing with God. God. Amen. Yeah, but pastor, if you knew what I did, I don't know and I don't need to know, but he knows and he made you righteous. Praise God. What you have to? That kind of thinking pulls you back into your own righteousness. In other words, I have done something so bad and so wrong that God wouldn't want anything to do with me. I am so unrighteous. But there's nothing you did or that anyone did that God doesn't know. And the Holy Spirit convinced you that Jesus needed to be your Savior so that He could bring you into a place where you could become the righteousness of God and lose the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and live the life that God intended for you to live. That's a flow of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, glory to God. And uh, a familiar verse, verse 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for Philip, who knew no sin, that Philip might be made the righteousness of God in him. Notice the words made, made to be sin, so we could be made the righteousness of God in him. It's an oversimplification to say he became what we were so we could become what he is. He was made that way. Yeah. Made to be sin. He didn't sin. He was made to be sin, so that we could be made something. It's the law of reciprocals. You cannot be made something if Jesus was not made what you were. So because you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, he was not, he was born sinless. He became sin. So I could become righteous. So the one that was in right standing with God, if we can say it this way, voluntarily stepped out of that right standing with God, so us who were not in right standing with God could voluntarily step into that right standing with God. It was a voluntary act on my part. God didn't make me save. He didn't make you get saved. We volunteered to believe on Jesus. God did not make Jesus come to the earth. He did not make him die. He did not make him suffer. He volunteered. Everything that was a free gift is received just that way, as a gift. Hallelujah. And so you sit here today as born-again believers, whether you believe it or not, as righteous as Jesus. Yeah, but I've messed up. Jesus never messed up. Righteousness isn't conduct. It's standing. God did not make you righteous based on your conduct. He made you righteous based on your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the more righteous you know you are, the more conduct changes. But understand that. The Holy Spirit will convince you of that. There are Christians that need to be convinced how righteous they are. Oh, thank you, Lord. Look at Romans 1. Romans one. Thank you. See, when you know you're right with God, there's never a question in your mind as to if God will do something, because I'm right with God. What stood, what stands between people <laughs> and receiving answers to prayer, is this idea of. Have I done something that's stopping it? Is there something that I need to do? Right? When you know you're righteous... There's nothing God won't do for me. Amen. Romans 1, 16, Notice this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation... To everyone that believeth the gospel. Now notice this, this, this thread that's wo- woven throughout all these scriptures. Notice the first step. You have to believe the gospel of Christ. Which is what? That Jesus died for your sins and you got to make Him Lord. Right? To everyone that believes that gospel. To the Jew first. It came to the Jew first. And then to the Greek. For therein, in that message of Jesus Christ, in that message of the gospel, in that message of salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. Notice where it's revealed. In understanding, I need Jesus. And when I understand that, something's revealed. The righteousness of God. Amen. And it's revealed from faith to faith. It starts with that, that, that starter measure of faith and it gets stronger the more I believe it. Amen. And it's written the just will live by faith. Faith in what? Hang on. Faith in what? Faith in the fact that you're righteous. So how do I, how do I live the greatest life I can live by knowing I'm righteous? Knowing I'm right with God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, mm, so in the gospel, the word that the Holy Spirit wrote is the fact that we're righteous. Now, look at Philippians 3. There are things that the Apostle Paul said I cannot walk in the fullness of if I don't understand the fact that I've been made righteous. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of that. Romans or, uh, Romans, or Philippians 3. Verse 8, he says, yes, doubtless, and I count all things lost for excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dumb that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is by of God by faith. Now don't miss this, there's a colon after that, and the first word of verse 10 is that. Where you see a colon, you can put the word so. That I may know Him, so that, notice, I want to have this righteousness which is of God by faith, so that I may, number one, know Him. If I am not walking in the righteousness of God, that is by faith, I will never know Him the way I could. Just won't. There are people crying out to know God and they don't believe they're righteous. You'll never know God if you don't believe you're righteous. You can be saved and not believe you're righteous, but you'll never know Him. You'll never know Him. Why? Because to get close to Him, you've got to believe you're righteous. You cannot boldly enter the throne room if you don't believe you're righteous. Amen. And then he says, so that I may know him. And we could say, and that I may know the power of his resurrection. The Greek says the power outflowing from the resurrection. So there is a resurrection life that's granted to the believer that I will never know the power of if I don't realize I'm righteous. And so there are people that live power-depleted lives and they blame the devil and they blame other things when in reality, they don't believe they're righteous. Right. Amen. i got to believe that. Yes. Yes, sir. So to enter into that power of the resurrection, i got to believe that I'm right with God. I'm in right standing with God. I'm just. In, 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 in the Spanish language, it's, it's, it's uh, justice. I've got to believe I'm just with God. Amen. Right with God. Now now we think about that and and very often people have been taught, you know, when you get born again, you become right with God. You do, but you have to be taught you're right with God. And Paul says, this is what I want to be found. And then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now what, how do we fellowship with his sufferings? The sufferings that he's talking about here, Of course they include the cross, they include the beating, but they they primarily include living as a man. The suffering of the cross was for a matter of hours. The suffering that Jesus put up with the most was three and a half years living as a man. Uh, More than that, but you understand what I mean. Amen. Amen. The step down for Jesus was becoming human. And being tempted in all points like we are. He says I cannot fellowship. It's the word koinonia. It means to be a partaker. A joint partaker. An equal partaker of his sufferings. If I don't believe I'm righteous. In other words what he suffered on the cross. Everything he bought and paid for. Will never be as stark of a reality in my life. As it could be if I don't see myself as righteous. He said, I want to know I'm righteous. I want to be the righteousness of God so that I can participate in these things. Amen. And the Holy Spirit will convince you of that. And then he said, being made conformable to his death. Listen, Romans, we we often quote Romans 12, 1. You know uh, uh, about uh, beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God. You'll never do that if you don't see yourself as righteous. Never. Because it will be some legalistic thing that you do. Oh, Lord, I lay my life down today. Oh, God, I present my body a living sacrifice. What are you doing talking to me that way? I just thought you presented your body a living sacrifice. But when I understand I'm doing that as the righteousness of God. Father, today, because you have so beautifully conformed me to your will. By making me your son or your daughter, I willingly today, Father, as the righteousness of God, lay down my body. I lay down my life. I presented a living sacrifice. Right, and now I'm made conformable to His death. In other words, I can literally do what Galatians three says: I am crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ. Yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith. Of the Son of God who died and gave Himself for me. That's righteousness in a nutshell. I'm crucified with Christ. If I died when Christ died, if I was buried when Christ was buried, and I rose when Christ rose, and the Bible says I did, then when I rose, I rose the same way He rose. Jesus rose glorified, Jesus rose justified, and Jesus rose as the Son of God overcoming all the powers of hell. The Bible says you have been called, you've been justified, and you've been glorified, and you've been called a Son of God, and you've been given authority over all the powers of hell. Sounds like Jesus. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see you, He sees Jesus. Sees you righteous. Amen. Amen. Do you see that? So there are things I won't experience the fullness of if I'm not convinced I'm righteous. Say Lord, out loud. I'm convinced that I'm righteous. Amen. You know, in all the years I've been ministering, I have never come under fire or saying Jesus wants to save everybody. I have come under fire for three main things. Number one, saying God wants to heal you. Number two, saying God wants to prosper you. Oh, my goodness, they took out quarter-page newspaper ads about me. I've had people say, does that bother you what so-and-so said? No, man, I've been barked at by big dogs. Them little dogs don't bother me. Hey, quarter page newspaper ads. Called me a false prophet. Called me. Amen. All kinds of things. I, I had a guy. He, he had t-shirts printed up about me. Oh yeah. I wore them all around town. Prosperity preacher. You say what would you do? I got one printed up that had a big P on it. and said prosperity man. And just wore it everywhere. I was younger then. I was younger then. I didn't have a lot of wisdom. But I did it. Amen. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, that we're righteous. People will fight you for their right to not believe they're righteous. I just believe there's none righteous. And they don't realize what they're abdicating, what they're canceling out of their lives. The Holy Spirit will convince them of that. Do, Do you see that? Now, uh, John 16 again, and, and we'll look at this third thing. And you know, where things like righteousness are concerned, it's not just that you know you are and that you've heard you are, it's that you're walking like you are. It's that you're walking like you are. Amen. Amen. There was a minister I knew one time. He said, He said, He said, when, when you walk in somewhere, he said, You walk in like you own the place. If you don't have a nickel in your pocket, you walk in like you own the place. Dr. Summerall used to tell uh, the young ministers he was with, He said, Walk in on good carpet. Amen. Well, why is that important? Because the enemy deals in the realm of feeling, the enemy deals in the realm of emotion. And if you get up and you make a mistake, you're not necessarily going to feel righteous, but you are. And God will remind you of that. The Holy Spirit will come and convince you of that. So you walk like you are, whether you feel like it or not. Everything you do by faith will be done in the face of your feeling at some point. Anything you've got to do by faith, you will have to do in the face of feelings that are speaking contrary to that. But you've got to do it anyway. And that will go a long ways to you receiving by faith other things that you've got to overcome feelings about. If you can overcome the feeling, boy, I blew it, I missed it, I'm not righteous anymore. No, just by faith you're righteous. Amen. And then that way when you're believing God for healing in your body and it's trying to persist and it's trying to hang on, you take it by faith because you already know how to overcome feelings of unrighteousness. There's nothing you can't overcome. Amen. Well, what if I don't feel better tomorrow? Well, what if you don't feel righteous by the time you go home? It doesn't change anything. You are healed because the scripture says you are healed. You are righteous because scripture says you're righteous. What I feel, what I see, what I experience has little or nothing to say about what is the truth. Oh, my goodness. I've done it. I've preached myself happy. Because, because, listen, I was raised classic Pentecostal, and I am, I am blessed by my heritage. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not running my heritage down at all. I, I, I thank God for it. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll flip over on YouTube sometimes, and, and there's this group called the Pentecostals of Alexandria. Now, I think they're down in Louisiana. Man, them folks know how to have church. I was watching them the other night, and they said, what happens when Jesus takes over the praise service? And, man, they were shouting, and, and they were shouting down their honey buns and everything. It was It was just right that's that's the line of Pentecost I was raised in you know buns and dress and right and it wasn't bad (laughs) hallelujah good they they were having healing testimonies and they didn't they didn't have all of it about the word of faith but man they knew Jesus had healed them and they were shouting all over the place so when I say that but we there, there we had a problem where this righteousness thing is concerned at times we it may not be that we didn't believe it. But it wasn't taught a lot on. But boy we were strong in the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit. And, and healing. But I, I noticed something. People had a hard time keeping things. Or maybe getting them. Because the more righteous you know you are. The easier it is to receive. Hallelujah. And, that, and that's what you rest on. So. Verse 11 of John 16, he says, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit will first of all convince or reprove the world of the defeat of Satan. Which proves the judgment of those that don't receive Jesus. He'll convince the world of judgment. Remember, Scripture says in, in uh, uh, Corinthians, it says that uh, all men die, who were born after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So everybody born in this earth is born spiritually dead, born a sinner. Why? Because that the, the natural man comes from Adam's lineage but it says that was the first man earthy but he said the second man is the man from glory the Lord from glory right now I'm saying this for a reason and so if a person just lives their life and never gives their life to God and makes Jesus their Lord then they are laboring all of their life under the sin of Adam And they'll be judged for that. Well, Scripture also talks about, remember what Jesus said? He would deal with people and he'd say, you're of your father the devil. And his works you'll do. Right? When a sinner comes to the realization that Satan has been judged, it wakes them up because they think, whoa, wait a minute. I've been living just that way. And if I don't change something, I'm under the same thing. Amen. Now, we don't hear a lot about judgment in the church. But folks, listen. Ever who we are. I'm going I'm to stand before Christ, and I'm going to be judged. Not about sin, because I'm a believer. We're going to look at this in a moment. But because of, of my works, what He's given me to do. But here's the, here's the point. Every non-believer is going to stand before God. And they're going to give an account for what they did with Jesus. Satan no- notices in uh, uh, John 12. You, you need to understand something. Nobody gets away with anything. <laughs> Nobody gets away with anything. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes with, with our comics and whatnot, you know, people, people have this picture of, of a pearly gate and St. Peter standing there, you know, with a, a checklist and, and maybe there's a test you can take once you get there. No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope. no. The test was taken by Jesus and he passed it. And you've got to take his score. And if you get to the pearly gates, as people say, and have not received Jesus, that's the last thing you're going to see. That's of any glory or splendor. Amen. But the point is, is here in John 12, notice what Jesus said. Verse 31. Now, he's talking about when he is crucified. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, at the crucifixion, shall the prince of this world be cast out. Or he will be judged. Or dethroned. So the Holy Spirit will convince the world that Satan's been dethroned. Satan's been judged. Now what does that mean? There's no hope for him. Amen. Satan can never repent. Now that that seems like a, a given. But why? Why can he never repent? Why can he never recant and say, oh, I missed it? I've heard people say, well, it's because he's an angel. Well, no, that that can't be right. Because there's nowhere in, in the Bible that says they can't change their mind. Satan sinned without being tempted. He chose to do what he did for no reason. Other than the pride of his heart. The pride of his life. And he'll never change. He'll never change. Do you see this? He'll never change. And so he's been judged. Now the thing is, people on the earth, unbelievers on the earth, that are following his example, they can change. They don't have to follow through and experience the same thing he's going to experience. But if they don't change, they will. And that's why anything... Anything that has to do with stealing, killing, destroying, anything that has to do with immorality, that has to do with sinful living, I want to shun it. The Bible says, the Bible says don't even talk about those things. It says it's a shame to even speak of those things that are done of them in darkness. It says shun the very appearance of evil. Why? Because that's of the devil. Oh, am I helping you? It's of the devil. Amen. Remember what Jesus said I told you before. He said you're of your father the devil and his works you'll do. When the scripture tells you and I, it says, it says whatever things are good and just and holy and of good report, any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Put your mind on these things. Why? It's the exact opposite of the devil. Amen. Amen. And so everything that's opposite to that, I need to keep it out of my life. Now, if I'm not careful, people say that's closed line preaching. Maybe so, but it'll keep you safe. Amen, amen, amen. It'll keep you safe. Amen. amen. I, it bothers me sometimes when I hear Christian people talking about watching questionable things. How, how are you just sitting there in your living room watching that? I've had people tell me, oh, it's a good movie. They only use the Lord's name once. Just once? Just just once. Do you realize how that word comes against your righteousness? When someone says, God, damn a thing or another, you're saying God's the dammer. That's like slapping God in the face. You didn't make me righteous. You're the dammer. And he's not. Amen. I'm not not preaching on your TV. But it bothers me. Because a lot of times those same people. Are the people that are struggling. It bothers me. When I hear preachers up. Basing series. Off of television shows. That I know are ungodly. Bothers me. Why? Because I'm not supposed to be getting my preaching ideas from a television show. I'm supposed to be getting what God wants to, you to hear from the Holy Ghost. Amen. So when 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 people say, "Well, you know, I watch this or I watch that," folks, we got we got to come to another standard. We are at a position in our world right now. Where the Bible, well, not just the Bible, the word that the Lord gave us was that those that stand for right are the ones that are going to succeed. And he said there was going to come an even bigger schism between what is right and what is wrong. I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the believers in the body of Christ, if we're going to see the things that God wants us to see, there's got to be an even higher standard of morality and a higher standard of holiness has got to come in. I I just believe that. Amen. Because if it it continues the way it continues in a lot of people's lives. Amen. They're going down a, a, a dangerous road. They're going down a dangerous road. We are not called to see how close to the line we can walk with the world. How much we can be like the world and still be separate. The Bible says, I brought you out of them. Now, I've called you out of them. Now, come out from among them and be separate. Cleanse your hands. Purify your minds. Touch not, taste not, handle not the unclean thing. Don't do it. Right? Mmm, glory. I remember one time a preacher had me over at his house, and he was showing me his new theater downstairs. And it was beautiful. Man, he put in a home theater. I mean, it had a, a big screen. It was, it was huge. It was as big as that, that uh, sound booth back there. It's huge. Big, nice house. And he was showing me the Dolby surround sound. This was a few years ago. And, man, he, he, turned, he turned the sound on. Sure enough, I mean, it was all around you. And he said, here, here, I got my favorite movie in here. And he put his favorite movie in there. Favorite movie. Put his favorite movie. His favorite movie. And hit play. And the first words out of the guy's mouth was, "He took the Lord's name in vain." People say, "What'd you do?" I said, "I got to go." Yeah, that's being prudish. You can call it what you want. I call it being safe. I call it being saved. Right? He said he would reprove the world, convince them of judgment. What we see in the world today are people eating and drinking. And being merry, Like nothing's ever going to happen. What oh, got quiet. Like there's never any recompense. For the life I'm leading. Nobody gets away with anything. Right? That's what Paul said. He said. He said. Look. If only in this world. Do we have hope of Christ. He said. Then. What are we doing? Let's. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. In other words, if this is it, man, let's just have a good time and live our life however we want because tomorrow it's the end. He said, no, 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 no. We all got to stand before Christ and give an account for the things we did in our body. Every one of us. Satan has been judged. The next thing for him is a big angel with a chain. And a thousand year vacation in the bottomless pit. And then he comes out of that pit and tries to get the world to fight God. And they do. And God shows up and it's over. And then the next thing you see is he is cast into the lake of fire. And I'm not going to shed a tear. I'm not going to whimper. As a matter of fact, I might laugh and dance when I see him getting his. Because he deserves every bit of it. He deserves everything he's going to receive. But here's the thing. Every person that lives their life after his sinful nature, listen to me, will deserve everything they get. They'll deserve it. You and I stand before Christ and get everything we didn't deserve. And nothing we did deserve. But the person that is not convinced... That they are sinful, not convinced that they're righteous. The person that's not convinced there'll be a judgment day will just live their life however they want. I thank God for my heritage because, boy, they preach hell hot. There are, there are times you had to check and see if your shoes were melting. <laughs> now, now, it wasn't condemning, but it made me aware of something. I can go one of two places, and it's up to me. God's paid the price through Jesus. I had a person say, well, I just don't know that I could serve a God that would send all these people to hell. God's sending no one to hell. They're choosing to go, and we know that. This is so important, and the Holy Spirit will convince us of that. Folks, the season that we're in, the the day that we're in, you, listen, you can think whatever it is. Oh, it's just pastor in an election season. Listen, we, we are not just in an election season. We are in a spiritual fight for our nation. This is a spiritual fight. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's a spiritual fight. Amen. I say it's a spiritual fight. And, and you've got one group. I'm going to talk on these party platforms. You've got one group that their big push is three times, three times in their party platform. I'll tell you who it is, Democratic National Committee. Three times in their party platform. Three times we will protect the reproductive rights of women, including the right to safe legal abortions. That's murder. That's killing innocent children. And they're saying we will commit to you that we will fight for your right to kill that child. The Bible says in John 8 that Satan is a murderer. Now, if you go vote for a murderer, it's just like murdering that baby. It's just murder by proxy. Because I allowed it. If I'm in the same room with somebody and somebody comes in and says, I'm going to kill them and I don't do anything to try to stop it, I'm responsible. Well, it got quiet in here. still the truth. And the Holy Spirit will convince you of that. If you pray before you vote, the Holy Spirit will convince you who you should vote for. You don't vote based on color, based on gender, based on hairstyle, based on tweets, based on race. You, based on, you base it on what does the Word of God say. Am I right or wrong? Over and over again, we will fight for the rights of the homosexual and the LGBTQ plus community. As with any other civil right, we'll fight for their right. It's not a civil right. It's a sin. It's not a civil right. I'm going to be very honest with you. And hear my heart when I say this. If I was, if I was an African American man, if I was a black man, it would appall me that they are putting that person's Rights on the same level of my civil rights that people literally fought and died to get me. And I'm going to be very honest with you. All of of my black brothers and sisters, listen to me. It should appall you too. Because there are people that gave their lives there were ancestors in your lineage that faced horrible atrocities, that were beaten, that were sold, that were murdered, that were lynched, that were destroyed. And it should bother you that people are coming along with a lifestyle choice and putting it on the same level of the the fight that went on for hundreds of years in our nation that that we watched people that you know that were beaten with clubs, imprisoned unjustly, Dr. King marching all through this nation with a nonviolent message. It should bother you that there are people that want to put this lifestyle sinful choice on the same level as that should bother us it's not on the same level it's sin it's sin and if we don't understand that it's the church that's going to be held accountable because we're what what, our pastor my pastor preached it right here if the foundations are destroyed what can the righteous do It's up to us. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, by the blessing of the upright, the city rejoices. It's up to me. Whew. Amen. And so I've I've, I've got to watch that. It's not a Republican and a Democrat issue. It's 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 a sin issue. It's a sin issue. Folks, do you hear that? If you put sin... In a position of power. They're going to propagate sin. Amen. So we got a spiritual fight on our hands. And people need to understand that. Oh glory to God. Uh, Look at Hebrews 2. You know and. And this is something. This is something. As believers. We don't vote for people that are going to give us the biggest break. I've talked to people. Well, I, I vote for the, the guy. What are they going to do for me? That's the wrong reason. What, what are they going to do where righteousness is concerned? Do you know right now. Roe v. Wade is about to be overturned. You need to be praying for, what's his name, Roberts? Justice Roberts? He's betrayed us twice. You need to pray that he won't turn. We can turn that thing over. This year, we can turn it over. And get victory where that's concerned. You never saw, you didn't, you have not seen that even come close to that in the last quarter century. But it's it's on the doorstep right now. It's on the doorstep right now. There have been more Planned Parenthood clinics defunded, go bankrupt, go under this year and the past two years than ever before. You know, in the state of Arkansas, we only have one abortion clinic, one. One, just down the road. I'm believing that sucker is going to get shut. Amen. Amen. Why? It needs to. Amen. Hallelujah. Why is that important? It's important for our nation. We're, we're not just fighting something we disagree with. That's the heart of our nation. Ronald Reagan said that the future of America depended upon our response to abortion. Amen. There's a man who wrote a book called How to Kill 11 Million People. He was talking about the Holocaust. How to kill 11 million people. And all through the book, chapter titles were, how do you kill 11 million people? And he'd go through things. How do you kill 11 million people? And he got to the end of the book. He said, so how do you kill 11 million people? You know what the answer was? You lie to them. what they did and so ungodliness lies I'll give you this I'll give you that free this free that free education free health care free this free that free everything they're lying hear me watch me on live stream they're lying to you And, and you'll get there with your hand out and get nothing because they lied and they'll smile at you and say well you must have misunderstood And there's liars on both sides. I'm not just painting one group as the liar. I'm trying to explain to you that the way you get people to do what you want them to do is you lie to them. Oh, my goodness. Look at, uh, well, let's go to Revelation 20. I said Hebrews, but I don't have time. It's, uh, It's time to be done. You know, once I just said all that, I guess it said so. But nonetheless, you know, I decided this year I don't have anything to lose. Amen. I don't have anything to gain by not saying anything, and I got everything to gain by being honest. All of us do. Amen. Revelation 20 and 10 notice it says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake and fire and brimstone where the beasts, the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whose faith the, the earth and the heaven fled away that's the father and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great stand before God notice this the books were open and another book was open the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books, according to their works. And then verse fifteen, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is that the word? That these are people. These are unbelievers. These are sinners standing before the Father. And notice the books are open. The books. God keeps a record of everything. Why? He's just. He's not, he's not being ugly. He's just. No one will ever stand before God and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Because he's got the books. And then it says they're standing there to be judged and another book was opened. A book. The book of life. And it says he looked at all these that had been judged from the books to see if they were in the book. And they weren't. They were cast into the lake of fire. When you read, and you, you can read this on your own, all the way through First and Second Corinthians, Paul talks about the believer standing before Christ. You never see books. Because the Bible says the handwriting of ordinances that was against us was blotted out, taking it out of of his way. So ever how many books you had when you were born again, this, this, this blessed me when I saw this, in heaven, books that were written, we could say with the hand of God, just disappeared. Because the person that did those things no longer existed. And then your name was put in the Lamb's book of life. And so when you stand before Jesus, you stand before Him perfectly righteous and perfectly just and perfectly whole. Having been forgiven of all your sin because of the goodness of God. And the only question then is this. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me?